millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. You tell your Spice Runners Tatooine's closed for business. This planet's seen enough violence. Tatooine belongs to the Syndicate. As long as the Spice keeps running, everyone will be left alone. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Syndicate. I am your host, Armand Haddad. Today's focus is the latest installments of the Mandalorian universe, the Book of Boba Fett. But before we travel to the streets of Moss Espa to unpack the show, I am accompanied by two returning guests. The first is a screenplay writer, a Twitch streamer, an incredibly interesting guest, Doug Levinson. Welcome back to Syndicates. Hello. Glad to be back. Yes. And the next is a Chicago podcaster. Taking time away from his show, WSTR Galactic Public Access, Aaron Julian. Welcome back to Syndicates. Always a pleasure, Armand. Thank you. Oh, we're going to get into it. So your show is a Star Wars podcast, and we're talking about Star Wars today, the book of Boba Fett. But before we get into the show... Let's talk about how we encountered the titular figure, Boba Fett. So I'm going to start with you, Doug. How did, we, how did you find out about the figure of Boba Fett? Like my first experience like with encountering the character, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was in Empire Strikes Back. Oh my God. Yeah. So walk us through it. So you're watching Empire Strikes Back. Are you 12, 2, 30? Yeah, God, I'm probably three years old, probably oh four years old. Probably chills a little bit. Really, he was he was always that maskless figure to me. Mm -hmm. Growing up, before I got really into like the Star Wars lore and stuff like that, he was always just that silent guy who talked maybe like two or three lines. Yeah, and then he was just always perceived as somebody who was not a good guy. No disintegrations, Mm, right? No killing. That's right. That right there set the tone for me. Yeah, this figure shrouded in mystery. Yes. Very intriguing. I have a similar story to you, but Aaron, how did you encounter Boba Fett for the first time? What he said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, I was about 
12 years old mm. and uh, was just, I, I somehow saw the original trilogy before any of the prequels, nice. even at that time. Good. Um, and so, yeah, Empire Strikes Back. You have this guy who he's pretty much filling the same function as Vader in A New Hope, where he's basically this masked, nameless, faceless henchman. Yeah. And uh, he, he just looked really, really cool. Then he went out like a punk. <laughs> yes. We're, yes. We'll get into that. So similar story to you too. I was watching Empire Strikes Back as a kid. I think I was like five or seven, maybe even younger. My parents were like, we're going to show you Star Wars because it's Star Wars. Why not? And I was so enamored by him because like he is this mysterious figure that you don't really know about. He's the muscle of the second movie. And honestly, his armor is just so cool. Like, you yes. got like the T visor and mm-hmm. like the jet pack and like the cool, like almost like military khakis, uh, breast plate going on. And I just thought it was so cool. It's like an action figure come to life. And yes, in the third movie, he died like a punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His, his design was really, was really interesting because mm-hmm. Star Wars has always been a mix of East meets West. Mm. And with that, uh, with the T visor, you've got kind of the crusader knight in armor yes. kind of motif going on um, compared to Vader's more samurai aesthetic. Mm, yeah. uh, very striking. Yes. hundred percent agree. So I was just completely shocked when like they, they set up this character. Like he's so menacing and like almost like Clint Eastwood in like the Western movies, like the man with no name. Yeah. You don't mess with him. Uh, and then in the third movie, he dies like a punk. He mm-hmm. gets hit by Han Solo's, I don't know, stick. Yeah. As jetpack goes crazy, <laughs> hits into the sh- sail barge and like dies yep. with, with like a comedic burp too. He mm-hmm. flies into the Sarlacc pit. And as an adult, I appreciated that because like as a kid, I'm like, Oh man, like what a, what a stupid ending for this character. But as an adult, it's like, I kind of appreciate that because like, he's like this badass figure. Like, like you said, like this crusader knights aesthetic. And in the third movie, he just dies like a punk. <laughs> so it's like, Oh my God. It's like undercutting like this, like, like, Oh, he's, he's so powerful. And yet he dies by a blind man with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> There's something poetic about that. Um, so I kind of wanted him dead, but he came back to life in the book of Boba Fett. Yes, he did. Yep. Yes. So after waiting decades, years to find out if Boba Fett truly lived that experience at the Sarlacc pit, we finally get the answer. The answer is yes. And we has his, he has his own show, the book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. seeing the show, what were our first impressions? Doug, I'll start with you. Um, for me, my first impression of the show, uh, after it was all said and done was I liked it overall, but it was not the book of Boba Fett. Oh my God. <gasps> hot take. But is it really a hot take? What did you think, Aaron? Not going to lie. First half of the, of the show, I was like, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are parts of it that I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a, this is a preview of the episode. Um, there are parts of it that I really, really liked and other parts that were just very confusing and made no sense. And it, it just felt very, very uneven. And I had no idea if the show was going to stick the landing landing or not, but it, it episode five definitely, definitely was a turnaround oh, yeah. and I'm really oh, yeah. glad for it. Yes. Um, l- like Doug said, it's, he he asserts that it's not really the book of Boba Fett. I'm mm. I'm gonna be a little softer on the show 
Okay. Going to kind of uh, be in its corner, not be its blind advocate, but definitely going to be rooting for it because I think there's a lot more going on than uh, than a lot of surface level analysis you would find on the internet would right. suggest. Right. Um, but yeah, first impression, it's like first half of the season could probably use another draft. Yeah, I agree. Try again. Better luck next time. Try again. Uh, still a lot of great pieces there that uh, if you take it as a whole, it's a lot better than being drip fed it once a week. I agree. Like my sentiment after watching all eight episodes or is it seven episodes? It's seven, 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 seven. episodes. Yeah. Like I thought, I thought it was rushed. I was like, mm. obviously this could have went like another one or two passes of like several different eyes. But like, I felt like, I don't know why, because like maybe it was just like getting people to stay on the platform of Disney plus, Mm -hmm. but like, I felt like it was rushed. It felt like nothing was like fully fleshed out. You could have had more episodes. I think if it had like a 10 episode run, it would have been good. Like things like fully explained and Mm -hmm. fleshed out. Everything was like rushed. Like, Oh, there's like a, a turf war between like these gangs and then, Oh, like the Mandalorian people come back and like, Oh, the job of the huts and then rancor. And I'm like, um, what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah. It's like the first half and the back half of the show are two, com- are two completely different shows to me. Right. Like, like you said, Aaron, like the first four episodes, like with the first episode, I was like, you know what? I like, boring stuff i like watching art house films you know i'll give it some grace and then things things just weren't happening mm-hmm. weren't really explained and i was like this I have a is theory good as to, i have a theory as to why okay um, we'll get into it later because it's the first impression but right. um I, I i think there may be one or two primary reasons why that is mm, okay well Doug, do you have anything to say before we really dive into the book of Boba Fett? Well, I was just going to talk about like the structure, mm. structure wise of how that was written in the beginning okay. of that, those first four episodes were could have been done a little bit differently. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's a whole thing that we'll get into in a bit here. Okay. So let's get into it. But before we do, guys, listeners of the show know what time it is. I'm going to surprise you guys. We're going to do some elevator pitches. Oh, my God. So for those that don't know, if you're selling a movie on a friend or a TV show, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So here on Syndicate today, we're going to have that between you two, Doug, Aaron. Doug, I'm going to have you start 30 seconds. And then, Aaron, you're going to finish Doug's pitch. You're going to pitch me, you two, The Book of Boba Fett, I'll avoid any major spoilers within one minute. Are you two ready? Yeah. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> We're going to start in three, two, one, go. Remember that guy that died on the sands of Tatooine in Revenge of the Sith? Yeah. Well, he's back and he is going to try to reclaim Tatooine. Oh, my God. Of fellow mercenaries. (laughs) (laughs) You've given me nothing. Yes. So Boba Fett in this show is the man in sand. He's got (laughs) sand there. He's got sand there. He's got sand everywhere. (laughs) He's dragged along in sand. He's marched in sand. He's buried in sand. He crawls out of sand. He's born in sand, molded by sand. And in this <laughs> desert sand. Yes, the sand. 
he is uh he's not trying to make his own way in the universe but trying to make our way oh, in the universe <laughs> as he tries to form a tribe of his own yes whoever that might be whatever they might look like uh-huh. So that he can rule with respect rather than fear. Oh my God! With eight seconds to spare, you two did a great job. <laughs> While also saying nothing about the show, <laughs> I told you everything you need to know. Yes. So the show centers around the bounty hunter Boba Fett. He's on the sands of Tatooine, mm-hmm. and he gets out of the sand, out of the pit of the Sarlacc, by busting out with, I guess, just like Joel Patton Oswalt said. Yes. In, you know, <laughs> oh my uh, God. Parks and Rec. Yes. Yep. Like. When his gloved uh, hand went through the sand <laughs> and h- hit the maw of the sand beast, I was like, oh, they had to have known. <laughs> they had to have known. Of course they know. <laughs> That's how we pictured him getting out this entire time. Oh, like, yes. He crawls out and he almost dies from the, the digestive acid of the beast. <laughs> And he needs to take a bath for a few months to, to yes. heal. Just to wash it all off. <laughs> yeah, so after he heals, after he's taken in by the, the Tusken Raiders, the Sand People, like, he truly finds a tribe of his own, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to rule Moss Espa with respect. You know, there's a power vacuum by Jabba the Hutt, and he's going to fill that shoes, fill that place, fill the throne with his butt, and take control of this place and has gone straight to hell. The, the cartels, the syndicate has taken over and he's going to maintain order while all that is happening. So I, you know, with that, you know, it sounds like a very interesting show. It sounds like awesome show. Like it does. Yeah. But let's talk about what the show actually is. John Favreau's writing. So we teased it before you talked about the pacing, Doug, Aaron, you talked mm-hmm. about, uh, the structure and also like the whole, uh, writing. So let's really dive into it. So let's talk about John Favreau. So he penned the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I absolutely love the Mandalorian season one, season two as it is a cultural, uh, monuments right now. Like it totally revived Star Wars, like more so than, uh, the sequel trilogy, in my opinion. Like there's just something about it, which we're going to get into. Uh, and, it's all cred to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, their mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. how they approach the subject matter. So how do you think he did with the book of Boba Fett? I don't think his second follow his follow up to Mandalorian season one and two. I don't think it quite lived up to the status of those two. Mm-hmm. Cause it was supposed to be the book of Boba Fett kind of felt like the chapter of Boba Fett. Yeah. yeah. And then the blog post of Boba Fett. Yeah. And the Tumblr the, post. <laughs> the, the pacing for the show was just, for me, it was weird from start to finish. And the structure in the beginning, the way it was told was a little, was a little weird for me as well. Would you like to unpack that? Yeah, because like, so in each of these four episodes, you go in in each of them, actually, you go to a lengthy flashback of when, you know, Boba Fett's like now this new ruler, uh, he, um, what was Bib Fortuna, Bib Fortuna, he shot Bib Fortuna. He claimed uh, Tatooine. Uh, he, he claimed he was the the daimyo. Daimyo. Thank you. He claimed he was the daimyo, and then you learn that he's in this back to tank, and then you learn through flashbacks of basically how he survived. And through these flashbacks, you learn about how he survived with the Tuscan clan, right. how they basically took him in, mm-hmm. and 
each episode, they go into lengthy flashbacks with that. And for me, that kind of would take me out of what's happening with Boba Fett on Tatooine right now and mm-hmm. what happened to Boba Fett. Right. I felt like they should have just answered what happened to Boba Fett and this is what he's doing now on Tatooine. I felt like that could have flowed better almost as a structure rather than each episode you're going into lengthy flashbacks each 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 one so you wanted it more linear like i felt yeah more yes okay yes i think and this goes to like more passes with more eyes uh with the scripts i think the flashbacks could have worked if they tinkered it with the script a little bit more Mm -hmm. because have you seen season one of arrow on the CW. Yes. Yes. Like the use of flashbacks, the, the use of flashbacks in that show works because oh. like whatever is going on in current day in Starling city, it gives the context of what he learned on the Island when he was marooned younger. So it's like that transfers over. Yeah. And with the book of Boba Fett, I don't think it really did that. It was just no. like, he's here. He's the dynamo or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, this is how he survived the Sarlacc pit. How he even got to Mos Espa. It's like, that doesn't really work for me as a yeah. viewer. They they tried to use the Bacta tank as the, oh yeah, we're, we're going into a flashback now because he's climbing back into the Bacta tank. There's not enough connection for me for the two different stories that you're trying to tell in almost the same episode. They kind of need to be linked a little bit somehow. Right. And the, I never got that link or connection to why it would be important to just that episode only essentially. Yeah. It's an, I like the idea of that framing device, like you said, um, where there's a, there's a plot reason for why we have the flashbacks, you know, the dreams of Beck. Yeah. He goes back into the back to tank and then every time he does, it's like, Oh, we got a flashback coming up. And even by like chapter four, um, he's like, well, all healed up. No more, no more back to tank. So we know, okay, no more flashbacks. Um, it, I, I think in practice, it didn't go the way that it worked in John Favreau's head. Um, <laughs> where we, where we'd have this kind of interesting dynamic instead, it felt like they were feeding us two stories at once and just like, mm, yeah, it, uh, we, we did a slice of it here and a slice of it there. And it wasn't quite clear how they connected. Um, and Armand, you're right with like some more time and more eyes on it. They probably could have gotten it to work. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And this kind of right. brings me to theory number one of Do it. why the book of <laughs> Boba Fett was not as good as it could have been. Okay. Um, theory number one, I think John Favreau just did not care as much about this as he does oh the Mandalorian. Mm. Um, that, that, uh, preface, uh, disclaimer, this is wild speculation. I have nothing to pin this on, um, except observing patterns. And the patterns that I've observed mm. are when John Favreau really believes in a project, um, he gives it his best shot and sometimes he doesn't believe in the project. And so he'll turn in passable work and it'll get done and it won't be terrible, but just not as good as it could have been. Okay. Um, for evidence of this. The Jungle Book, fantastic film, uh-huh. beautiful movie. Yeah, extremely well made. It's innovative in technology, and it's just it, it it takes what at least Disney considers a classic and mm-hmm. updates it, puts a new coat of paint on it, um, flushes it out more, and it's 
much it's a remake but it's a much better and fuller and greater version of the story than it was mm-hmm. and then disney's like hey can you do that with the lion king i don't think favreau mm-hmm. wanted to do it i don't think he wanted to do it either to be honest no so he 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 coasted he you know he turned it into disney but i forget who which director is like this but they always do like a movie for the studios and then a movie for themselves Maybe you know, but uh, Scorsese. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's probably Scorsese. Um, I know more than more than just him um, do that, but I think Lion King was one of those for the studios movie movies where Favreau did just. I don't think he. Wa- I think he wanted to move on from the Jungle Book. Yeah, and he just basically turned in a passing grade, and that's it. So it's just the bare necessities for the line. The bare necessities. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I think when it came to Book of Boba Fett, it was... This goes back to, I think, the way Favreau and Filoni especially think about Star Wars. They think about Star Wars as all one thing. They don't separate it into original trilogy, prequel era, sequel era, spinoff shows. Okay, We think of it in that way, and yeah. that's kind of how many of us experience mm-hmm. Star Wars. But they consider it all one world, all one story. And I think with the book of Boba Fett, they, it, it served a function where they had this opportunity to flesh out this character a bit more. And they could work, they can get some stuff done with the Mandalorian story before season three started. So they can uh-huh. take it wherever they had in mind. Okay. So in that way, book of Boba Fett was like a functional show. But I don't think it was sufficient for Favreau where he where he was really excited and jazzed about it and wanted to tell the story that needed to be told with Boba Fett. Okay. So I think he's like, okay, Disney wants this show. We can keep everybody working. Um, we can we can prep season three yeah. uh, really well. And that's why I think he basically told everyone beforehand that, look, y'all. This is Mandalorian season two point five, <laughs> and, and that and that's why it feels like the chapter of Boba Fett, not yes. the book of Boba Fett. Yes. Yeah. Um. And, and as for why that is, why he might, may not have been that excited about it, um, I think, I think because the Mandalorian was supposed to be that that story of Boba Fett, but I think. You know, this is the first Star, star Wars live action show. Mm-hmm. Disney was taking a gamble on it. Favreau and Filoni were taking a gamble on it. And I think what they really wanted to do was a Boba Fett show. Um, but they had to hedge their bets because if it flopped, then, you know, that'd be a wasted character. And so they make Din Djarin, who in many ways kind of functions just like Boba Fett, yeah. um, but as a palette swap. And, there, and there's some important differences, too. I'm, I'm, I think it would be oversimplifying it to say that, you know, it's like a a trial effort at a Boba Fett show. But in effect, they were like, well, this is the kind of story that we want to tell. We want to be able to make a, uh, a a Western samurai show um, starring Boba Fett, but we need to, we need to play Disney's game and hedge our bets a bit. So let's make this new character. And I think that actually ended up exciting Favreau and Filoni a lot more. And so they rolled with it. And then by the time they worked Boba Fett into it, um, I just don't think he was really believed in it as much as, Mandalorian. And 
Yeah, go ahead, Doug. I was going to say, and Boba Fett has such a big to has such a big name to it already. Yes, Boba Fett to where you know with your concern of oh, if it flopping, I don't think that if, if they made a Boba Fett series without any ties to any of these other characters that we've seen, like yeah. solely a book of Boba Fett to where it focuses just on him. You don't have all these other characters coming into the mess and stealing all the spotlight, Mm -hmm. but just focused on him. I think that they would have had a more successful show to be honest. So, and I think they can do it. They're just too scared to. So I'm going to comment on both those things at the same time. (gasps) So I think you're right. They wanted to do a Boba Fett show, but Kathleen Kennedy or whoever has say was like no like let's not use like an established ip Mm -hmm. like let's just like do something new just in case it flops and you're right because the mandalorian does function just like boba fett he's Mm -hmm. a bounty hunter he's doing jobs he's making money he's ruthless he freezes people in carbonite he has a, a ship and he's doing all these things just like boba fett because when the mandalorian first came out we didn't really know his name he was just the mandalorian right so i was like is this Boba Fett? I think this is Boba Fett. Like maybe he went to Sarlacc pit, got new armor because it got melted. Like it, it could have been Boba Fett, but then it was revealed his name is Din Djarin. Uh, he has this completely different upbringing. And honestly, I think people gravitate to the Mandalorian more because he's more relatable. He has He's a thief with the heart of gold because in the first episode of Mandalorian, he meets Baby Yoda, Grogu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it becomes like this samurai youngling samurai uh or this uh, hardened warrior with the child that he must protect people are drawn towards that story Mm -hmm. and it's more relatable and like it's just a more interesting story than a ruthless killer essentially boba fett yeah they had the chance to tell this story with this deep emotional bond at its core yeah and i think favreau cares a lot more about that than making boba fett look badass right like, I think, so going with, like, he made Boba Fett, or not Boba Fett, he made the Mandalorian, like, oh, this is his child. Like, this is what he truly cares about, his full artistic vision on screen. And then the studio was like, okay, well, we want to make money. And Boba <laughs> Fett makes money. Mm-hmm. Okay, here you go. Just like what Martin Scorsese says, he makes those gangster movies because that's what the audience expects from him. So he like phones it in and then he makes his own movie, last temptation of Christ, Mm -hmm. which is not going to be a commercial success, but it's his artistic muscle being flexed. Right. So I think you're on to something with John Favreau because like this felt bland. The writing was not good. The dialogue sucked. The characters, in my opinion, were cardboard cutouts, especially in the streets of Moss Espa episode where it has oh like <laughs> those Vespas, those like Power Rangers. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, is this Star Wars? This doesn't feel <laughs> like col- Star Wars. The colors of those speed bikes or whatever, those bikes or whatever they were called, mm. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. But before we get into it, um, I just want to frame the discussion a little bit. Um, there's a lot of discussion online that tends to nitpick all the details mm-hmm. about the show. I'm not so much interested in that. Um, right. And yeah. there, there's also a lot of kind of wishful thinking or they should have done it this way or they should have done it that way. Or how could they, with regard to certain characters, how they, how could they act like that? And, you know, they're setting things up for, there's still a lot of sequel hate on a lot of people's minds. Mm. Um, and I'm 
personally more interested in not like what could have we had, but here's what we have. What does it mean? Okay. I like that. Does that make I sense? Like that. I like yeah. that more. Okay. Yeah. Um, with that said, with, uh, with, with the Vespa squad, um, <laughs> the, the mods, uh, you know, there's, there's precedence for that. If you don't know what mod culture is, it was a thing in the sixties. Um, lots of immaculate fashion, um, very tailored cut, uh, clothing and they had a thing for scooters Yes, and it, it was very much very similar to like hipster culture today where there, there's a lot of, yeah. Or yuppies where there's just a lot of attention on, uh, aesthetics and, uh, looking the part and everything's neat and clean and in order, um, yes. a lot of sharp edges to the silhouette and everything. Yes. And, um, especially their scooters, they just take immaculate care of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the idea of having cyberpunk uh, mods. It, it just felt out of place on Tatooine and yeah. you could even set that up. Like maybe they're expats from Coruscant mm-hmm. and you know, they, yeah. Um, they're, they're part of this, uh, kind of counterculture on Tatooine where, um, they're say, you know, fuck your sand, um, fuck your robes. Like we're, we're just going to do our thing. And you know, that's, that's how we get by. And, um, the, the parallel that I want to draw that to is there are a lot of, uh, subcultures revolving around, uh, like cars and vehicles. Oh yeah. Um, that we have today, even in, uh, like lower among lower income demographics mm-hmm. where, you know, they're, they could barely afford rent and food, but they're still going to dump a ridiculous amount of money into their cars. Uh, so yeah. all I'm trying to say, it's, it's not as an outlandish idea as you think. Um, they didn't do a good job of setting it up that that's a thing in Mas Espa. Mm-hmm. Um, and visually i think there's also a bit of a mismatch between star wars which is very much lived in and kind of scuffed up aesthetic versus these like immaculately clean um right. mods yeah right. and i think that's what threw me off was like you have like these vibrant colors coming into a yeah. to a star wars universe that's usually a little bit grittier than that and mm-hmm. i was just like woo it threw me off for a second but yeah i mean it didn't hinder my ability to still not <clears throat> Maybe enjoy it. So yeah, and the, the the classic Star Wars fan thing to do is to immediately try to come up with like an in-universe explanation for why it must be that way. And you know they're you know they have saved all their credits and uh, they're uh, trying to get back to Coruscant, but they were and, and it doesn't matter. I don't care if it if it, <laughs> if it if it doesn't work for you in the moment, then it doesn't work. Um, and that said. Uh, I, I just don't think it's that ridiculous an idea. They just need to do a bit more work to yeah. make it fit. And they didn't. Um, yeah. Part of it also is because Robert Rodriguez. And <laughs> um, can, can we talk and about Robert we, Rodriguez? We can. But before we do, let me just comment like why the Vespa people didn't work in my eyes. Because sure. like you explained it, like it's essentially the mod culture in Star Wars, but it's infused with like cyberpunk. And that doesn't really work for me because, like, famously, you probably know this, Aaron, they clashed with the punk rockers, the crust punk, mm-hmm. crust punks, where it's like mohawks and the studded leather vests and the plaid pants and whatever they go into see, minor threats and black flag. 
they famously yep. clashed with those people. So it's like when you infuse it, where it's like it's the same people. Like there are cyberpunks with like, you know, gen, uh, not genetic, but cybernetic uh, modifications to so like their eyeballs or their chests or their legs. Mm-hmm. And then you have this immaculate uh, scooters that they ride around on. It's like it's two different commentaries you're doing at the same time. Pick one. Yeah. Are they like preppy kids or are they punks? Right. And they're trying to say they're both. And it's like, that's two different ideologies at the same time. Yeah. Um, Are they libertarian cyberpunks or something? With like, oh, they have two attributes at the same time. So they're in the middle. So would they even look like that? Would they look like cyberpunk 2077 writing Vespas? Like, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And it didn't look like it belonged in lived in universe, especially on tattooing, especially on tattooing. Yeah. It seemed too clean. It's way, way too, too clean. clean. Mm-hmm. It feels like on Naboo, Coruscant, or maybe even some other developed inner galaxy core world. Totally awesome. That would work. Not on Tatooine. Yeah. Somebody at some point needed to be told no. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate the attempt. I like the idea. But if you can't make it work, then it's not going to work. We've got to go with something else. Right. So let's get into Robert Rodriguez. So he was a guest director on Mandalorian. And I was like, oh, my God, Robert Rodriguez? That's like a, a legit director. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he came back for Book of Boba Fett for like a few episodes. And personally, I was underwhelmed. Yeah. Which episodes did he direct again? If you- he did the first one. Okay. Did the second one? Third one. A third one. With the, so the one famous three- Vespa Chase. Yeah. And I was like, this doesn't seem like his directing style. And he did the last one. Number seven. Okay. Oh, he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that now. I remember that now. <clears throat> I know as his style of directing, um, that, um, he's a very fast shooter from mm-hmm. prior interviews that I've seen him in. Mm-hmm. Like, especially with like spy kids and all the other, like all the other movies that he's done before this, yeah. he's, he's, been um he's a good he's a good a lot of people like him as a director because of his ability to shoot things very quick now and cheap and cheap he very famously shot machete for like thirty dollars yeah <laughs> it's just like exactly what? no budget oh yes my God. yeah that's so cool um i'm exaggerating of course but um but dirt that's, cheap that's how he made his name is that he made this like professional looking action movie for yes. like no money. Machete. Now I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I mean, that's a great, that's a great, um, it's a great tool to have, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, you have to know when to use that tool and when to not use that tool. And I feel like with star Wars, it's not a very rushed thing that you can do. You have to be a little bit more, you know, peculiar with star Wars. Cause it's an established property mm-hmm. established IP. So people and fans are going to pay attention to detail. Mm hmm. Something I think that, you know, is going to lack when you're doing things at such of a high pace, which could be a reason why some some of those episodes felt a little bit mm, not so great. Yes. Maybe rushed at times, but it felt cheap. And, and I was, I was yeah. shocked. I was like, some of the episodes, like, I really like Doctor Who. Doug, I think you like Doctor mm-hmm. Who, too. I do. So I watched, like, the old ones from, like, the 70s or 80s, and, like... The backgrounds, say it's like a stone wall. Mm-hmm. The set would move if they hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, it has this charm, this low budget charm. I don't have that 
expectation with Star Wars. Right. And like watching some of the episodes in Book of Boba Fett, I was like, did they spend money? <laughs> it <laughs> seems br- extremely cheap, but go on. And this brings me to theory number two on why Boba Fett was not as good as it could have been. Go on. This brings me to theory two of why Book of Boba Fett was not as good as it could have been. Robert Rodriguez slash budgeting issues. Because I think they're one and the same. Because okay. uh, Robert Rodriguez, he directed the Mandalorian season two episode where uh, Boba Fett returned. And it was great. Oh, yeah. Action packed. Mm-hmm. Felt awesome. For Book of Boba Fett, he was the showrunner as well. He was. Yes. Oh. Favreau and Filoni were the showrunners for Mandalorian, but Robert Rodriguez was a showrunner for Book of Boba Fett. I did, I did not, not know that. I didn't know that. Yes. That's, that changes everything. Yes. Filoni and Favreau, um, they had some writing. Uh, they were executive producing, but Rodriguez was the showrunner. Oh, my God. Um, so Favreau wrote all of the episodes except five or six. Six, I think, was Filoni because right. Ahsoka was involved and. Yeah, only he's not going to let anybody touch Ahsoka. (laughs) So um, I'm I'm sure, you know, Favreau just spun his rolly chair out into the hallway and shouted for Dave. And he came over and tightened things up here and there on five, six and seven and wrote all of all of six. Yeah. So. um, okay, and, And so a lot of people would are a lot of people claim that. Uh, Robert Rodriguez's directed episodes for the show, which were one, three, and, and seven. Um, not counting seven because that was pretty good, but one and three were kind of the weakest of the show. And I think that checks out. Um, and you might think, how could, how could it be that awful when, you know, Rodriguez's episode in Mandalorian season two was great? I think it's because he's running the show. Um, right. Just because you're a good director or have been a good director does not mean that you are going to be a good showrunner. And I think that uh, I, I think the symptoms of that popped up uh, in a lot of different places during the show. Right. It, it's going to be really hard to know what was actually Rodriguez's fault and what wasn't, how much of it was Favreau's fault and wasn't. But um, if you don't have a single clear creative vision from shared between the showrunners the writers and the directors for a TV show, it's going to get confused and muddy. And I think that's what we got here. Mm -hmm. And as a corollary to that, I think there were some episodes here that clearly show they ran into some budget issues. Yeah. Um, I know it's Disney. I know this show is a big draw, um, but even they have limits on what their budgets are and what you need. Right. Because you have things like, uh, like the train attack scene looks great. That could have been in a movie. Mm-hmm. Or you have um, the the updated visual effects with Luke. Right. He looks fantastic. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The, you have you have the Ring World. You have uh, the finale uh, where just Mos Espa blows up. Yeah, uh, and it's like, oh, that looks great. Mm-hmm. And then you have the the the, the famous uh, Vespa chase that just looks like garbage. Or um, <laughs> when when Boba's attacked in Episode One. Uh, by all the shield dudes, oh, yeah. and how yeah. it, it that fight scene looked like a rehearsal. <laughs> he, he, couldn't, he couldn't just have flown up, <laughs> right? Yeah. He had a jetpack on. He had a jetpack on, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they. I think they cut corners and just didn't tighten tighten all the screws where mm-hmm. they needed to be. Um, I think it was because of budget issues. 
I thought, I think Robert Rodriguez came in, directed those episodes, and he's like, you know what? I can do it fast. I can do it cheap. Let's just get it and move on. And we'll we'll save all our budget for where it really counts. Right. Those big set pieces. Yes. So I'm not going to go too deep into why there are budget cuts, but let me just say one speculation I do have. Sure. So the parent company is Disney. They, over the pandemic, have lost probably like a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they had to close the parks down mm-hmm. world around the world. So do you think... So Mandalorian season one and two were during before pandemic probably filmed. And mm-hmm. then Book of Boba Fett is during pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see that because like they cut corners. And I think maybe possibly it's because of their massive losses of revenue from the parks being closed. So their other properties are suffering because of that. It's like, okay, you need to do this show with half the budget of Mandalorian. It's possible, and it's possible why they got Robert Robert Rodriguez to be the showrunner mm-hmm. because he he has that directorial tie to the Boba Fett character, yeah, um, I, and he has that reputation for being able to get things done cheaply, and, and he's, for better or for worse. Yeah, I think he's a decent showrunner too. He's done a I think he's done a couple other TV shows that actually had some commercial success. Too oh, is that true? As well. I think I don't know if he was a showrunner, but I know they did redid it from Dust Till Dawn the series. Mm. I know a series. Yes. Oh my god! Yeah. I thought it was just a movie. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I know he did that, so I know I think he had some experience in television. So that could have been maybe a, another reason why that they're like, oh yeah, he's had experience before. Yeah, let's let's. But are they sci-fi franchises? Because um, maybe he can't do sci-fi. Maybe he can do yeah, like yeah. From you know, Dust Till Dawn, it's horror. That's mm-hmm. that's vampire. Yeah. So um, I mean, the show's a western. <clears throat> yeah. It, 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 it you would take that much to to cross over. Yeah, you would think, but like, I don't know. I don't know well, who maybe else. Maybe that's where the cyberpunk mod gang comes in. Mm. Maybe that's his idea of sci-fi is having oh. an Inspector Gadget foot. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Like I'm cool because like. You know, that was established in Empire Strikes Back with, like, Luke losing his hand and then getting a robot hand that looks yeah. flesh. Yep. So, like, we have that established in Star Wars, but, like, the execution with, like, those Vespa people. I don't want to get too into the Vespa people again. Yeah. But, like, I think another creative force, like, maybe, like, two showrunners um, would have helped. Like, I think, like, a good example why that would have been a good idea. So, like... Doug, you've been watching Doctor Who. Like yes. You've been watching the Revival series since 2005. Yes. Have you been watching Jodie Whittaker's stuff? I have not seen any Jodie Whittaker stuff yet. Okay. So, it's not good. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and, like, the new showrunner clearly cannot write sci-fi. He wrote Broadchurch, and it was amazing. It's a drama. Aaron, you saw it. Mm-hmm. He went into Doctor Who. Not good. He can't write sci-fi. So, like, for the latest season, he had a co-writer. For all his episodes, and magically, they're better. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not going to say like Robert Rodriguez needs that for Star Wars, but like it's clear as day if they're going to do a part two of Book of Boba Fett, he needs help. And yes, and I'm I'm not trying to just I'm not trying to just beat up on him. Like leave the man alone, punch uh, him down, you're punch I'm, him down. I'm man. just I'm just trying to connect some dots here and figure out why it could have gone this way when we've had. Same crew, same team working together on Mando season two. Mm. And it was great. Yeah. Um, and it, it didn't seem to be that way 
with this show. Right. Um, especially when, you know, you have Boba's appearance in Mando season two, then the famous end credits scene where it's boom, 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 boom. And it, it, it seems like a completely different tone than the show that we got. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, theory number I one, mean, Favreau just wasn't that jazzed about it. Theory number two, Robert Rodriguez slash budget issues, perhaps. Right. So, Doug, you're about to say something. Yeah. And with bringing on like a second showrunner, I think, you know, their style for wanting to it to be almost like a, a Star Wars uh, cowboy like show yeah, like maybe bring in somebody with that expertise in creating westerns or something like that. Like maybe some right. bring someone on from like Yellowstone. Like mm. I know it's not necessarily western, but you know, it tries to go for that feeling. I know sometimes I've seen a couple mm-hmm. episodes. My parents watch it, but somebody like, that's well versed. Someone that's in well, western. yeah, someone that's well versed in westerns, so they can infuse some of that into the show. Because you can tell that at times the show definitely wants to be that you know Star Wars western. Especially with, um, yeah. especially with that showdown with like, uh, can I can say I say it? it? Say it with, say Ka- it. with Cobb Vanth and um, Chad uh, Bain and, and Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, his name was escaping me for a second. Cad like Bain. when Cad Bane when when he came in, I was like, oh my god! I was like, yeah. like that was like one of those. That was at that moment was like I think when the show actually started like lifting itself off the ground a little bit. It was cool. actually it was like, very cool getting into that area where it's like oh yes i am so into this now let's go yes that's where the show really shines when you have all the right people working together and you have uh the same vision and they're able to just tie in everything into one cohesive whole it's fantastic yeah and then that yeah and in that moment between that showdown that's where i finally got like that first true western vibe that it was mm-hmm. so desperately trying to get into and i was like i think that was what episode six that was episode six that that was episode six mm-hmm. jesus christ i was gonna say like five <laughs> maybe four. Oh my god five was the um, ring world yeah um but yeah, when that happened, I was just like, why, why is this happening now? Why didn't, why, why couldn't I get this vibe from the beginning of the show? Like yes. set the, set the tone that you want this to kind of be like a Western type feel. Yeah. Because the music, I mean, I love that, that little beat that they have for Boba Fett, what mm-hmm. they did with that. And I was like, it gives me that Western feel, but it's like just nothing else. You're yeah. not really giving me anything else that this is a that this is really a western because that you want used, this make me that you want to make this a western. It Sorry. used the iconography of the good, bad, and the ugly, and it just pasted it onto Star Wars, and it worked because mm-hmm. like you have the desert, you have the gunslingers, you have the small town. Like yes, it, it's almost shot for shot the good, the bad, and the ugly showdown in that movie, but it's with characters from Star Wars, and it works because like they are these gunslinging. Uh, archetypes on screen for Star Wars. So it's like, if you did more of that, like maybe not like too like overt, like, oh, we're homaging this Clint Eastwood movie, but oh, like yeah. use that as an inspiration. Like you could have had like that one set piece of like the showdown in Freetown as like the main thing. It's like, oh, this is the one Clint Eastwood reference we're going to make. And then mm-hmm. everything else is just derived from that and like inspired from Western movies, Western culture. But they didn't do that. Yeah. I'm about to show you a photograph. Okay. From my cellular device, I'll which I'm sure your podcast listeners will really appreciate. <laughs> I'll describe it. Um, my, my point being, uh, a lot of this, like just ripping off Western stuff, like okay. that's all George. 
Of course. George Lucas oh, came yeah. up with Cad Bane. He literally said, just make him leave Van Cleef, but a blue alien. And they they did that from the dress and uh, oh, yeah. down to uh, the, the photograph I'm about to show you. Okay. Is uh, is a side by side comparison between the live action Cad Bane and Lee Van Cleef, okay. and a lot of people have made a ruckus for some reason that Cad Bane looked different, and I want to point out why he looks different. It okay. is straight up Lee okay. Van Cleef down to the mouth and the lips and the chin. Okay. Oh my! So what Aaron is showing me right now is Cad Bane and the actor that played Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef is the actor. What? Yeah. He played the live action Cad Bane? No. Lee Van Cleef yeah. is the actor. He's dead now. Oh, okay. That's his name. I was confused for a second. <laughs> he played... You never know. It's Star Wars. We're bringing back He played a actors. lot of villains in Western films. Okay, so... Corey Burton is the actor for okay. Cad Bane. So clearly these two figures, Cad Bane and the actor that played Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef is the actor. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they look strikingly similar. And I think that's intentional, clearly, with you showing me the side by side. Oh, yes. So, ri- ripping off things whole cloth and just putting them in space is Star Wars' whole thing. But that's not ripping it off. That's <laughs> taking inspiration. If they want to rip it off, they would have a human character. They would just CGI right. that actor's face onto whatever actor. But they're applying it to an already known figure cad bane right and it works you change a few things you put it in a new context and suddenly it's a new entirely new thing Mm -hmm. that you totally ripped off that's the secret that george lucas found out and what's frustrating about this show is that all the pieces are there all the cool things that it could have been are there yeah even with the vespa gang Mm mm-hmm um, because let's, let's not pretend that star Wars has not been just a patchwork of bullshit from day one, <laughs> but they're just tying together and yeah, throw it out yeah. and make it work. Uh-huh. So it, it could have worked. That's the thing. It could have worked. It could have worked with the right people at the right time. And clearly with this, it was a money grab to some degree. And you just had people that just did not gel together. And like the product suffers from that. Yes. Unfortunately, you have a, you have a lot of good as well. And I hope we get to talk about that. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, and one of the most interesting things that I found is I have a lot of non Star Wars fans, friends. I know it's hard to believe, oh, but, um, God. they've been watching <laughs> these live action shows too. And almost unanimously, they all love Book of Boba Fett. Really? Yes. Ooh. Um, you know, I- they, they, they recognize that there's some unevenness in tone and storytelling and everything, but, to they're they're really enjoying the ride and the kind of world that it's making and story that it's telling um and it it just maybe they're the target target audience i don't know but um it, it it's interesting to me that as divisive as star wars fans can be about it mm-hmm. that you're kind of regular folk they're just loving it honestly to be really honest that's how you should uh digest the material because like just enjoy it Yes. Yeah, a lot of people worked hard to make this come to life, and honestly, it, it's good. It's yeah, just like I, from my standards, it's like you could have done more with it. You, you could have done a been, little better. It could have been so Sorry, much better. It's 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 a little harsh, but yeah, I mean, you know. Sorry, I have a high standards, but it's like <laughs> it, it could have been better. Yeah, well, this is the syndicate. Like we 
We come here because we want to get a little bit deeper into films, TV, Mm -hmm. criticism. And so it it involves pointing out all these problems. So I hope we don't lose sight of the good that actually is there. Right. Yes. And and before we get to the good, let me just explain some of the hates. I just want to dive into that just a little bit more because like, so like we're all on, you know, whatever it's Facebook groups, Reddit, subreddits, or just meme culture in general. I just don't understand why. Well, I kind of do. I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Like when an animated figure from a cartoon goes into a live action sequence, people have a problem with it because it doesn't look like the cartoon. Now, let me, let me unpack this a little bit. So we're all creatives here in in certain ways. So I went to school, I learned animation and with animation, one of the fundamentals that was pioneered by Disney back way back when is exaggeration. Mm -hmm. That's what makes animation work. And that's exaggeration with the characters and movements. So in a cartoon, you need that to make it interesting, to make it work. And with the Clone Wars, I've never seen Clone Wars, to be honest. (gasps) I'm just not interested. We'll fix that. Aaron, just show me what the good episodes are (laughs) and just let me watch those. So with the Clone Wars, you have those fundamentals of animation in that show. You have exaggerated character models and exaggerated movements because they're not real. So when you take those figures, say like Ahsoka, she was in Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And when she was in Mandalorian, people had a problem with uh, Rosario Dawson playing her because like, oh, her tentacles on her head weren't long enough. Ridiculous. She's old. God. She has wrinkles. Ridiculous. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> this person's the character is like, what, 40, 50 years old? Mm-hmm. She was a Super teenager. Yeah, yeah, in Clone Wars. And then with Cad Bane coming in, to be honest, I didn't know who Cad Bane was. I just knew he was like a gunslinger. Kind of didn't look like a Star Wars character from Clone Wars. I, I was waiting for which friend would be the first to be like, hey, I really like that blue cowboy man. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. What about themselves as a fraud? Yeah, like, you know, I just don't see the appeal. I mean, he's pretty cool looking, but he doesn't look like a Star Wars character. But like in the show, once again, his character model is exaggerated. Uh, and then when they ported him into live action... Of course, you're going to have creative liberties. Mm-hmm. You're going to make him more realistic. And like people are like, his skin's not blue enough. His mouth is too high. And it's like, you know, a human I, person is doing that character, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so like people just need to understand. And I know people don't because they're not creative. So they don't, they don't know. They just, they don't know. Mm-hmm. But like with animation, it's exaggerated. With live action, you can't really exaggerate. So that's just, that's right. That's just my two cents. Yes, there's also trade-offs to everything. You could make a CGI head and have it look just as stylized as the Clone Wars, but the the motion's not going to look right, or the mouth's going to look weird and not right. Um, and you, you have to give faith to the people making this that they actually thought about these things and maybe try different things, and this is the, the best result they came up with. Um, and also, he people were saying like his skin was too light, shade of blue um you also have dynamic lighting they're in yeah, a desert in broad daylight he's in direct sunlight and yes. lo and behold the next episode when he's in like better lighting he looks great you look great the first he, time too like people need to shut up yes. <laughs> they, honestly i agree because he looked fantastic like each and every time i saw his face in a close-up on the screen like i was like there are times that like this was like one of the highlights of my show or highlights of watching the shows when i would see his face up close because i would just look at his teeth and they did such a good job at the details that they did on cad bane i was just like wow 
I'm like, you guys did an excellent job. Shut up, all the haters. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's too blue. Look at him. He looks amazing. Right. Yes. He looks menacing. He, um, just chilling in every oh aspect. Oh, my God. You know yeah. who's behind the uh, the effects or the heads? No. Who? Uh, same people who did The Shape of Water. Oh. Legacy effects. Oh, they, they did a great job with they, that. They did Cad Bane's head. They did the Trandoshans, which Ooh. they looked better than they ever have. Um, the, yeah. the lizard folk, the lizard folk, yeah, yeah, they look great. Wow, that, yeah, everything looks great. Pretty much all like the like, I want to say like all, almost all of the uh, almost all the characters at least had some attention to detail to them where they all looked great if they were in the forefront. Like mm-hmm. a majority of the the prosthetics. That's where I was looking yes. for <laughs> prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, that's where Star Wars shines in my opinion. yes, like yes. the creature design. Uh, the models of like the ships, maybe not the best ones, but like that's where the show shines. It's like when it looks like Star Wars, when it's like this weird alien world that we have known about since the seventies and it, it beautifully on screen. It's just, damn it. The dialogue to get back into the dialogue <laughs> yes. was not good. Like it was just, it was phony. It didn't seem right. And yeah, but Let's not keep on harping on the negatives. Let's get into the yeah. positives. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, what were one of the positive things about the book of Boba Fett, in your opinion? From the show overall? Yes. Give me a minute to think. Okay. I, I, While you think, Doug. Episodes five, six, and seven. <laughs> I, I loved almost every single second in those episodes. That's where the show really got its stride. That, that's, like, yes. I was for, like, we were planning to do this for a while. And like, I was like forming my opinion. I was like, Oh God, like this show is awful. Okay. Bad writing. This is John Favreau can't write for some reason. <laughs> and then episode five came out and I was like, Oh my God. I cried. I cried. <laughs> I was shouting at my TV. I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, it showed like, I'm a big halo fan. It showed a ring world. We've never seen oh. that type of mega structure in star Wars. I was like, Oh my God. Like, well, we've seen death stars, death star. <laughs> but like, it wasn't a ring. Yeah. It was, I guess a Dyson sphere. I guess <laughs> it was a mega structure. Yeah. Honeycomb. Um, but like, we haven't seen like a halo ring and I was like, Oh my God, like this is incredible. And then take it even further prequel love mm-hmm. we we don't see that like dave filoni definitely had yeah. his fingerprints all over five and six and seven and like I, I was just blown away like it was like that meme that i posted in our discord cha- channel <laughs> where it was like this dude eating the book of boba fett number five and like he's transported back to as a kid yep eating episode one and star or uh, halo combat evolved and i was like that's how i felt i felt nostalgic and even beyond the nostalgic, it was a good episode because mm-hmm. I hate to say it, it wasn't centered on Boba Fett. Oh, <laughs> like I was watching it and the silhouette came out and I was like, wait a minute. No way. You know who it is. It was the Mandalorian. He came out through the, the shutters and I was like, oh, and I was shocked. I was like, oh my I God. I was shocked too. Mm-hmm. And then right then and there. Mandalorian season three yep. was out. <laughs> yep. The prologue. Yes. Yeah. I'd say overall, um, a, a positive for the show is that it's, it's continuing to do what the live action shows have done up to this point, which is, um, tied together all these different eras of star Wars, um, uh, into this one cohesive whole, um, while having, having stories with these characters that, have these emotional connections that make it 
something that we could relate to um, and that means something for us. Um, I'm particularly going to highlight the whole uh, Tuscan tribe story arc uh, from this show. I think that's um, up until five. That was the strongest material in the show. Um, Just bar none. I think I I really, really enjoy We've already gotten some Tuscan love with um, that sounds like a like a smutty, got it. Uh, <laughs> filthy novel. Got a Boba Fettish. Tuscan love. <laughs> Tuscan love. Walked into that one. Um, Mando season one and two um, showed us Tuscans from a different side. They're no yeah. longer the kind of uh, barbaric race that mm-hmm. uh, New Hope set out. Mm-hmm. Into you know they made mention of it in the prequels, but they started to flesh them out as. You know, they they communicate with one another. They can be bargained with. They have deals. They have a code of honor, much like the Mandalorians. And, um, and because of that, it's the Mandalorian who can actually, you know, negotiate and lead lead them, uh, lead his allies through safely. Yes. And uh, they flesh that out here in Book of Boba Fett, where um, they're, they continue to be a tribe that has its own values and uh, communication styles and culture. And, uh, they take that and they just grow it and expand it. You have the, the Tuscan kids who, uh, they, they have this rite of passage and this, uh, episode three was great because, sorry, episode two was great because they, um, they did so much showing instead of telling. And that's a huge problem with the series is that they rely a lot on telling instead of showing. But not to get too, t- too sidetracked. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you noticed, but they have the little Tuscan kid, and he's got like the, the little stick, and it's not a full uh, oh. Ganji staff. Yeah. That's yeah. What it's called. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like a uh, like a training stick, oh and I think God. it's chapter four where Boba Fett um, like returns to the Tuscans and they're wiped out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, if you're not paying attention, you won't pick up on this but when he's like piling the bodies to be burned he picks up that little t- stick from the little tuscan kid and so he's a little poetic like ooh, that hurts oh, nice. uh, yeah but th- but you you have this demonstration that you know this tuscan tribe really values its family and bringing up the young and transitioning them into adulthood um and boba fett goes through that same rite of passage when he carves his own stick um i think that was Beautifully told, um, the the whole uh, spirit quest that he went through, uh, where he was guided by this hallucinogenic uh, lizard in his brain. <laughs> um, I I thought that was so good, so so thematic well, and rich. Where you you have this contrast from where Boba Fett came from, the watery planet of Camino, mm-hmm. um, blended with the the Dune Sea of Tatooine. Um, works on multiple different layers there, especially considering Tatooine, as revealed by the show, was once covered in water, now covered in sand. Uh, and it's there's a better version of this show where that would have been the linchpin that connected everything together. Right. Where what they're trying to do is 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 demonstrate how does Boba Fett become turned from essentially this hired gun to we want him to be the Godfather or uh conan the barbarian yeah uh how do we get there where he's less focused on just being a simple man trying to make his way through the universe instead has a tribe 
you 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 bring him through the the his experience with the Tuscans, and that's supposed to demonstrate that. And I think they 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 get there at certain points. It's just not tied together well, and it's brought down by all the other weak points of the first half of the season. Yeah. Um. So that that that's probably my most positive thing to bring from the book of Boba Fett. Um. Not not counting. F- I'm I'm deliberately keeping away from five, six, and seven. Not because um. I don't think they're good. I think they're brilliant. Um, and I do st- still consider them part of the show, but they're so tied in with uh, the Mandalorian that yeah. I want to focus on what is what does Book of Boba Fett bring to the table? Right. Okay. I go on, Doug. You sure? Yes. You sure? Yes. I was going to say, yeah, with with those flashbacks, I thought they were so emotionally well done too. Mm-hmm. Like they like like there were times where I was actually crying. I was like, yeah. wow, like, the, like yeah. it was very power, powerful. And yeah, like you said, seeing that journey through all those flashbacks, they were they were good. They mm-hmm. were really good. It's just that, you know, I don't, I don't I hate to play the, you know, the bad person. It was just like they're just oddly placed. I feel like that that's what we should have seen first. Just yeah. leave us with that. And yeah, that would have been, I thought that would have been a perfect launch. Pin. But yeah, go on, Armand. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it just saddens me to see like what this show could have been. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, Star Wars in of itself with Tatooine is a ripoff of Frank Herbert Dune. Oh yeah. Yeah. And once again, we're seeing uh book of Boba Fett ripoff Dune, Frank Herbert once again, the worst possible way, because like you could have done what uh, Dennis Villeneuve did with Dune and like really showcase the planets mm-hmm. and really showcase like the commentary with it. Like mm-hmm. there's a clear commentary to be had with uh, Tatooine being once lush, water filled, and now it's a desert. Mm-hmm. And like you could have done so much with that, like the environmental commentary or even what even the commentary between. Like you said, Boba Fett coming from Camino, this water-filled planet, and now once again, not oceans of water, but oceans of sand. Mm-hmm. Like you could have had this poetic uh, juxtaposition going on, um, paralleling uh, his journey. But instead, you have this other. Like I just wish it just explored the Tuscan culture a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, like with Mandalorian, it showed this more humanizing tale of the Tuscans. Like we've known them as savages in the star Wars, the main star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. And then with the Mandalorian, it's like, look at this beautiful culture they have. And with book of Boba Fett, you could have done that even more. You could have like dived more into it, man. It would have been amazing to have Boba Fett. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation. We thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Episode, maybe even season long, being with the Tuscan Raiders. And right. like, and by the end of it, you know, we see the Boba Fett's, you know, this character arc of like him being saved by the Tuscans. And then by the end, it's like, I'm ready to be, you know, this new Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And it could have been so beautiful, like to see that character journey, but instead they took the easy route and like, you know, like, oh, let's have him be a crime lord. He was a bounty hunter. Now he's in charge of the bounties. And it's like, you could have done something more interesting. Yeah. They, they show his transformation. The problem is we don't believe it. Right. They, because it's not it, earned. Yeah. It, and it happens right. too quick too. Yeah. It does. I think the the framing device with the back to tank flashbacks, I don't know if it ruins it. Certainly doesn't help it. Um, what, what we needed to have happen is we know who Boba Fett is. We've seen him in action on the show, and and I'm I'm just focusing on what we've seen on the current shows, like none nothing from the backstory or fan fiction or whatever. I don't care. Um, just from, from from what we've seen in the shows, we've seen he's a badass. Yeah. We've seen he wants to be a crime lord. We need we need to know why. What's his motivation for wanting to rule the town and take over Jabba's business? What's his motivation for wanting to rule with respect rather than mm-hmm. fear? You could have built that up if you started with the return of the return of Boba Fett, yes. and it's the first three four episodes. It's just him with the Tuscans and going through his own trials and tribulations. And we even need to like we, even with that, we need to set up somehow. Um, who he is just escaping from the Sarlacc pit and he's not going to be transformed right away, but in some ways he is because in that first episode, you know, he's wanting to bust out the other Rodian. Why? I don't know. I guess he's a good guy already. <laughs> he, he knocks out the dog and like pets it as he like puts it to sleep. It's like, why? I, it, Cause he's a good guy. I don't know. I guess he is now. Uh, it, it just runs counter to everything that we know already about, uh, Boba Fett. And if, if instead, you know, he was trying to uh, double cross the other Rodian prisoner or just like fend for himself and, you know, screw everybody else. Maybe if he, if he even like escaped from the camp for a bit and ended up like almost dying of thirst or whatever, he runs into the, into the uh, four armed uh, Kraken monster, whatever. <laughs> the point is, there needs to be established like this is who he is now um, and circumstances force him to consider changing or to experiment with a, a different way of being. And the, the Tuscan tribe is a perfect setup for this. Um, this it, is probably the first time either in a long time or ever that he's been in this kind of familial tribe environment where he actually has um, people looking out for his own best interest that he's also expected to invest himself into right there's a new territory for him he needs to be able to try this out and then a problem comes and it's supposed to test his transformation does he really believe in living as as a tribe instead of just as a person on his own and it, it should really test him where he's tempted to go back to the way things were before but then he if he passes the test classic hero's journey stuff then it solidifies that you know, this is who he is now. And he's earned that transformation. And then he can move into chapter two, which is the the, the Pike Syndicate War. 
where we've seen that transformation go back to the present day. And he's the daimyo of Masespa. And, you know, spent, spent a little time for him just trying to learn the ropes and, um, and collecting tax money and all, all that nonsense that we got with the first few episodes. Fine. Do that. But then we just have, we have this transformational journey again where he comes in. He's wanting to rule as a as a leader of a of a f- crime family instead of the way that Jabba ruled. It's like fine, this world you're entering in in Mos Espa is a power vacuum. It's not ready for this, so he has to earn that. Mm-hmm. And we could tell they're trying to do that. You know, he he gets the the mods on his side, and then Kersantin, and then he hires Dinjarin. It's like eh, they're getting there. They don't really show how he actually earns this kind of influence. There's no challenge to why does what what is his way of ruling really benefiting him? What what is it actually? How is it actually working? Right. Um, mm-hmm. We we don't really see that, and we we <laughs> constantly we we constantly see the other organizations and people in Mos Espa like mocking him for how this is not working. And Stephen Root's like, nobody respects you. And he's right. He's right. Um, what we don't see is Boba Fett actually earning that respect and trust. He says, I'm just going to rule with respect. We don't see how he actually does that. He says, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like Jabba. I'm not going to be a meanie. I'm not going to, I'm going to be a good guy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pet the rancor. Fine, whatever. <laughs> but we don't see how he actually earns that respect. And at the end, we're kind of supposed to believe that he did. It, it's not there. There's some missing pieces. Here's the thing. I agree 100% with what you just said. I just had to say that. Yeah. So here's the thing. What you're describing, like his entire character arc, of like being with the Tuscans, learning respect, and then applying it in his life by creating a new tribe because his old tribe died. Mm-hmm. What you're describing is that like at least two seasons of a show. 10 yeah. episodes yes. each. What we got was seven episodes. Mm-hmm. So you had to cram all of that within seven episodes. And with Boba Fett's tale, you can like subtract two of those episodes because Din and the Mandalorian is the main show yeah. yes. of two of them. So it's really five episodes. So it, it's half a season. And I don't really care about that because I've always understood this to be Mando season 2.5. Fine, whatever. Yeah. I'm just trying to say, how does this work as, how do you make it work as a story in its own right? Right. Mm-hmm. I think in like um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, it's like a double-edged sword. Like I think their writing is amazing mm. and also shit at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because of their approach to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I think that's extremely important, which we'll unpack later. But I think John Favreau is a bit out of his depth when it comes to writing mm. this type of story. What you need is like an established author, whether it's like Dean Coons, George R. R. Martin, someone that knows how to develop character and develop story arcs. And with John Favreau, like, you know, he did, you know, Iron Man, mm-hmm. like all like, you know, he adapted the book, Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Like he he knows what he's doing, but like when it comes to creating long story arcs that truly pay off and like really develop character and like insight into the character, like an author of a book. I think he's out of his depth. And like when you're out of your depth like that, you need to say, I need help and like hire somebody that can do it. 
but still be showrunner. Or call your buddy Dave. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, don't forget, before, you know, uh, before The Mandalorian, I don't think John Favreau ever did a TV show, if I'm not mistaken. Has he ever, do you guys recall him ever directing or leading a t- television show? No. Before Mando, no because, I no. mean, you know, directing a movie and producing a movie is a lot different from directing and producing a TV show because a TV show is going to take a lot longer. You have, you know, there's dramatic story differences between a movie and, and television show. Like you said, you need someone with television experience to maybe come in and show you the ropes, show you, you know, right. keep you in check saying, Hey, yeah, this is, you know, this isn't, we're in television land. Now you have much more time. This is way too quick. You're going, you're, you're, this is way too quick of character development. You can literally drag this out for two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. People will still watch that. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, I, I think that's what, but that I think that's what they were lacking with this season was like, with someone keeping them in check. Like you said, exactly. Like you can, John, you can be the man in charge, the head honcho, but like have a team of creatives that can flesh out your ideas better. Yeah. You know, express them better. Like, yeah, you have awesome ideas, but like have someone that knows how to create a television season, have someone that knows how to dive into characters and make it more fleshed out. Like hire those people. Yeah, because I mean, I myself, you know, as a as a screenwriter myself, who used to do more movies than television. Yeah. Um, I, I it's the exact opposite for me now. I do more. I, I'm starting to write more television than movies mm. because I, I found out with writing the difference between writing movies and television is I can play out. You can play out things so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just take your time. That's what they, that's, that's what everyone in like the industry literally like teaches with television. You can take your time. And I feel like with the book of Boba Fett, it's running to the finish line. They want like the ending of whatever book of Boba Fett was and they're sprinting towards it because they don't have the budget. Like you were saying, uh, Aaron, Mm -hmm. like they don't have the money and they're like, okay, we want to do all these beats. So let's do them all as cheap as possible and as quickly as possible in seven episodes. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that could have been, it's like, I know they're setting up Mando season three, mm-hmm. but like, if you're going to truly do the book of Boba Fett, like have like a mini season, kind of like with uh Mandalorian season one. It's like, mm-hmm. this is like a proof of concept. It's like, yeah. this is what we want to do. And then season two, it's like, okay, now let's really do it. Like, mm-hmm. cause people, there's an mm-hmm. audience and now let's like deliver. And with book of Boba Fett, they could have done the same thing. Like have like, this like mini series of like exploring the character and then maybe like sprinkle in Din Djarin at like the end, like, and here's, here's the prologue to season three mm-hmm. of Mandalorian. Yeah. Like you could have done that, but instead they're like, okay, here's all the ideas. Here's all the set pieces. Let's do it. Let's cram it in. See if it works. And I don't think it did. Nope. So I talked about the bad end of the double-edged sword. Let's talk about the good end. So with, mm-hmm. I really appreciate John Favreau and Dave Filoni's take on Star Wars because I, I like the sequel trilogy personally. And after watching episode five, where Dave Filoni was, you know, he wrote it. Mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard, she directed it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, there's so much love towards episode one. Let me see how old this guy is. And he's, you know, he's in his 40s. So I was like, okay, how old was he when episode one came out? 1999. Mm-hmm. He was 25. 
Now, from my personal experience, I really like The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. How old was I when Force Awakens came out? I was 25. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, from my personal experience, applied to his, it's like, okay, I could see where that genuine love came from mm-hmm. for this movie because he was at a very specific age where it's like, I'm an adult, but also I grew up with this movie series and it's like, I'm seeing it new for the first time, a different take on it. And I absolutely love it. So I personally like the sequel trilogy. It has its problems. Mm -hmm. It really has its problems. And let me go, go into that. It was, I don't know who the creative team was exactly, but I've seen some interviews with them and their approach to star Wars is interesting and I think it was correct for the time because they posed the question, what Star Wars mean today? Mm-hmm. What does the Force mean today? What does the Jedi mean to an audience today? And it was clearly people that did not grow up with Star Wars. They had no inkling of it. They were approaching it with fresh minds and w- with a more contemporary outlook. Mm-hmm. And what you got was the sequel trilogy. And I think it was a more corporate approach to it. Not saying it's like boring and clean. It was definitely a continuation continuation of Star Wars, but like how they would view what Star Wars is. It's like, okay, so we're new to this. We're looking at these movies. It has these elements and we're going to flesh it out and age it 30 years, what it would look like in a universe progress 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got like the sleek stormtroopers, the updated uh, Star Destroyers, you know, the Empire's back again. Like, us looking at it thematically doesn't make too much sense because, you know, the fall of the empire, something else would have came up, Mm -hmm. but it was their interpretation of what star Wars would continue as right with Dave Filoni and John Favreau. They clearly grew up with star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. their view on those movies influence how they would continue the story. And that's where you get jet uh, Luke Skywalker as Jedi master creating a new jedi order that's Mm -hmm. where you have like all these elements like the imperial remnants like i'm not saying like they looked at the eu at the time the expanded universe and was like okay we're gonna adapt it but like they took those concepts and ideas that they grew up with it's like okay let's flesh it out Mm -hmm. because you know i'm a massive fan of star wars and this is how i would see the character's trajectory as opposed to i'm new to star wars i'm doing this for my job let me see where these characters will go with fresh eyes for a different audience. So it's like two different takes on it, but I think Favreau and Filoni's take on it is more from a loving perspective rather than, all right, let's uh, redesign Star Wars for to make money. Right. It's like the sequel trilogy is a deconstruction of Star Wars. Mm, okay. It's trying to whittle it down to its bare bones, whereas what Filoni and Favreau are doing are kind of like a reformation of star Wars mm. where it's like, let's take the good, leave the rest and let's make it even better. Yes. What you said, <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Because like, it felt like, like when I was watching Mandalorian, when I was watching book of Boba Fett, it's like, okay, clearly they know their stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the magic's still there. The magic is there, but they're making it new. Yes. And that's what, like, I love that phrase, reformation. You're taking what it was and then making it new while still preserving what it is essentially. That's what I think categorizes this new wave of Star Wars TV shows. Yeah. More than anything else. Um, 
I'm not saying the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I'm not saying the sequel trilogy is bad. Not at all. It's still good, but it's just a different perspective, Mm -hmm. a different Mm -hmm. approach to the material. Yes. And um, what I think we're starting to see the seeds um, of this happening that I think some people on the internet are reacting kind of violently to is uh, my roommate and I joke all the time that Filoni is going to fix the sequel trilogy. (laughs) 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 And um, probably more accurately, he's going to bridge to the, the current era of Star Wars to the sequel trilogy in a way that makes it more cohesive and makes it make more sense. And I think if we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about Luke because I think, um, do it. I I noticed a lot of, a lot of reactions to episode six online were talking about Luke and talking about the choice that he gave to Grogu and every, Mm -hmm. lots of people were just throwing a fit there. There, how, how could, how could Luke be so cruel to Grogu? How could he, he should just give them both, uh, both the lightsaber and the armor, um what's this attachment nonsense that's how like the jedi fell yeah. why is luke just repeating their mistakes and i think contained in that is still a lot of uh sequel hate or the last jedi hate where people don't like where luke ended up um i'm personally i'm more interested in how do we how do we get from luke from return of the jedi or book of boba fett how do we get from there point a to point z um, it's time for the Jedi which, to end, which is him, yeah, basically him, you know, not caring about anything, right. pretty much. I, I want to see that 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 journey. Mm-hmm. I, I do too. Anyway, yeah. uh, and I think that's where uh, Filoni and Favreau are going. But I, I think a yeah. lot of this um, discussion kind of comes from a misunderstanding of what attachments are. And uh, I, I I did some research. Oh yeah, I did my own research. Okay, I, I found my own facts. Oh my god. Um. I, I went through uh, everything that George Lucas has said about attachments as it relates to Star Wars. Okay. And I'll, it, it's it's different than what most people think they are. So attachments uh, are, they're not relationships, they're possessiveness, they're greed. It's instead of, uh, the Jedi way is to get rid of attachments so that it's um, pure selfless love and compassion. Um even for the Sith, even for their enemies. Um, attachment is the way of the Sith where they're always trying to hold on to something or acquire more mm-hmm. and uh, be selfish and controlling about it, whether it's relationships or power or wealth or pleasure or whatever. Because um, George Lucas has said, like, Jedi can get married. They can they can have relationships, even non-celibate ones, and um, but it's the attachment that is the issue. And I think there's there's a broader discussion to be had about um, whether the Jedi Order in the last days of the of the Republic um, were they're like too controlling about this and went too far in yep. banning marriage and banning families yep. and wanting to you know start education with infants. Um, right. Arguably, that's like a that's like a deviation because that in itself is a is an attachment. They're wanting to control mm-hmm. the outcome of their pupils. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, w- what Luke is doing here is it's in line with, with Jedi philosophy, where if you want to follow the way of the Jedi, you have to have this kind of uh, freedom from attachment, uh, 
selfless love, compassion, that needs to be guiding your decisions as a Jedi. And a lot of people would counter argue by saying, hey, wait, isn't Luke's attachment to his friends and to his father? Isn't that what saves the day and made him the Jedi that he was? Mm-hmm. No, you are wrong. Um, <laughs> it, it was when he left his training on Dagobah to go rescue his friends. Like he didn't save the day. He, uh, he, he nearly got his friends killed. He failed to save Han. Uh, he was nearly killed by, by Vader and found out he was his father. Right. Um, that was a low point. Like he didn't save the yeah. day then. And it wasn't his attachment to his father that redeemed him. It was his willingness to let go. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to tempt him to the dark side and he briefly gives in to his attachments uh, to Leia and his friends and just starts wailing on Vader and nearly kills him. Then he realizes, Oh, I'm going down the same dark path. And he, what does he do? He lets go. He throws away the lightsaber. He says, no, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. And he lets go of the outcome. And it's, it's in that moment of sacrifice that Vader recognizes the selfless love that Luke is showing and that, inspires him to do likewise. So, um, so Luke is in line with the teachings here. And I'm, I, I'm really curious with what Ahsoka is doing there and what they're talking about, because I have a theory that Ahsoka is not so hot on the, on the whole started Academy thing. Um, she's like, no, let's, let's not do what the Jedi order did. And I think Luke wants to, okay. um, and, but he hasn't gotten proper training like Ahsoka has. And right. He's, yeah. he's, he's going back to basics, but what, and, and what's also so fascinating is that Ahsoka, Ahsoka is agreeing with Luke here when she challenges Din, she tells him, are you here for Grogu or are you here for yourself? And, um, th- this is what's so great about the writing in these episodes is that, um, Din has basically lost everything. <laughs> um, his, yeah. his, yeah. his RV got blown up. He lost his rifle. He lost his Beskar spear. He lost his son <laughs> and, and he, his people and his people and his, people. And yeah. his status as Mand- as Mandalorian. Yeah. He's got nothing now. Right. It's, he's got to take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, and he really wants to, uh, really wants to see Grogu again. He wants him back, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. here's an internal conflict with this character is that he doesn't realize that that's what he's doing. He can't even say it. Mm-hmm. He, um, he goes there and he thinks he's, there to make sure that Grogu's safe and to protect him when he, he knows damn well, he's safe. He's on this remote planet with Luke. It's the safest place in the galaxy, but it's his attachment to him that he, he can't let go of. And that's the kind of free lesson that Ahsoka is giving Din uh, in this scene where she's saying, if you really want to love and care for Grogu, then you've got to be willing to walk away and let go of that attachment because that's what he needs right now in order to focus on, being a Jedi like he wants to be. And that that's just so countercultural to Din's way of thinking, because as he says, Mandalorians attachment is everything. It's that devotion to their tribe and loyalty to each other that yeah. guides their path. So, uh, and it's also a, a secretly a hidden test for us as the audience, because we want Din and Grogu to be reunited. We want, um, you know, we, we want Grogu to be able to uh, have his cake and eat it too. But is that um, what's best for Grogu? Right. And we're not willing to let go of that attachment. Right. Yeah. Um, so 
all y'all saying that this is Luke repeating the mistakes of the Jedi. You don't know what you're talking about. I went, I, I was, I'm going to say I went through the same rabbit hole as you did. <clears throat> and then I found this image of Grogu, um, of him being a Jedi master. And someone asked him like, Oh, how did you maintain a uh, relationship with Din, Din Djarin, you know, after becoming a master? And he's like, you just have to learn that with all life comes death and with all death comes life. Yes, I cared for him. Yes, I love him. But I, you know, I I had to understand in his passing that death was part of life. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can't exactly remember what the image said word for word, but that part stuck with me. I was like, yeah, like the Jedi, they're, they're, they've been so, they, they imploded themselves. They've been so stuck in this like attachment being such a bad thing where attachment doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Just the Jedi that does have an attachment has to know that with life, there's going to come death. and They have to realize, I am going to lose this person one day, Mm -hmm. and that has to be okay. Right. And not to put too fine a point on it, but um, what led to the downfall of the Jedi was their own arrogance and uh, blindness to the Sith that lay in their midst. Mm -hmm. Um, The way they treated attachments certainly Mm -hmm. didn't help. Yep. Like, you know, Anakin losing his mother and his obsession with Padme uh, certainly wasn't helped by the Jedi Order's stance on it, on how they enforced uh, attachments. Yeah. But with or without that, um, I, I think that would have led to their downfall anyway. I mean, even without if Padme weren't an issue, if you could marry her, yeah. he still, you know, flipped out and turned to the dark side over losing his mom. And that would have happened with or without the Tuscans. And, and then you have to think of that. You have to think of, you know, is it any way to live like a person without attachments? You know, you start not forming attachments, you become more of a, I mean, theoretically, well, right. you know, you become less disjointed with, you know, humanity or like your species. Exactly. Well, it, it depends on what you mean. Do you mean uh, if you're talking about relationships whatsoever, then. Yeah, that's a but, weird yeah, like, way to live. Yeah, like um, they, they can have, have attachments. You can only have a like you can only have friendships like with other Jedi. How is that a new way to live? You know, <laughs> right. like yeah, or no, or no families. Like that's that's a real hard way to you know maintain a, the continuity of your order. Yeah, <laughs> to not have I any mean, families. To me, right there, that, that's a little suspicious. Right there, it's like <laughs> mm, you're setting yourself up for failure. There, right? <laughs> Someone's going to implode and turn to the dark side eventually. Here, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, Doug, I really like how you explained it with that uh, that illustration of like an older Grogu teaching a Padawan the importance of attachments and also the importance of letting go. Yeah. Because like the line of dialogue that is so powerful from Luke is when he's presenting the, the the choice for Goku, the lightsaber or the gift from Mandalorian. It's like the way of the Jedi or with your friend. But just remember that a short time for you is a lifetime for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is so powerful because it's like you have to, that's the contract of life. Yeah. Is that, it will end and you have to come to terms with that. It's just so powerful in so many different ways. And like that episode, episode five, episode seven, like are like, I don't know, like where was that writing? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, such good writing. It's like in Filoni's head. Oh man. 
so good. But like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't personally see an issue with illustrating Luke as this figure that's wanting to restart the Jedi Order. He's not making the same mistakes as the previous ones because he's not dogmatic. If he was dogmatic, mm, yeah. like Mace Windu and the Jedi Council before him, he wouldn't even present Grogu with the option. Exactly. Yep. Because they didn't present Anakin with the option at all. Mm-mm. I mean, people, I mean, you're always going to have nitpickers, right? Oh, yeah. This is yes. Star Wars we're yes. talking about. It's- I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of nitpicking Star Wars. <laughs> I'm going to that right now. <laughs> but I'm agreeing with you, Aaron. Like, I want to see how he gets from this idealistic, wise teacher from Return of the Jedi to the postmodern, nihilistic version of Luke. And that's a 30-year span. That's like a mm-hmm. lifetime for somebody. Yeah. Like, you're going to be in a completely different position in life 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what happened. We're going to find out in, in these stories that are going to unfold. But, like, how did we get from Luke Skywalker being, like, he's going to self-sacrifice for the love of his father. Like, he's like, nope, I'm not going to give in to the dark side. I am a Jedi. Mm-hmm. To the Jedi must end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something must have happened for him to become so nihilistic and so like you know what there's no point in any of this yeah i think we're starting to see the first seeds of that um when luke is talking when luke is talking with ahsoka about grogu um i think we're starting to see the seeds of self-doubt in there where he's like i don't know what to do about him Mm -hmm. and ahsoka says trust your instincts and i think i think he's i think he's going to be disappointed about uh grogu's decision what that means um i think he's salty about it right now he didn't even drive the kid home he sent him in an uber yeah <laughs> had her to drive him home <laughs> yeah um and i don't know if you noticed the music uh during that during that part um it's the same luke has a new theme now i don't know if y'all know um okay it, oh right the same yeah. one as Mandalorian. Mandalorian too. Yes. Yeah. yes. It's like that guitar, like do, 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 do. Yes. And uh, it, it's very different than Luke's theme in A New Hope. It's like weird and dark and foreboding. Um, go look it up. I can't, I can't think of the, the track title off the top of my head, but I think they're, they're trying to pave the way to like, you know, Luke saved the galaxy and now he, I, Personally, I think he's putting a ton of pressure on himself to restore the Jedi Order and be Space Pope. Yes, be be the start of something new yeah. and to and to restore the Jedi to uh, the the order that they once were. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe just start with a Padawan, right? <laughs> and he can't even get that far. It's <laughs> <laughs> Grogu leaves. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen in Mandalorian season three? Mm-hmm. Yeah. but I hope that this story continues in the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, part two or book two if we get that i'm hoping we're probably gonna get it so let's be honest here well they've already announced andor season two no they did and it's not even out yet oh boy i I think if they really wanted book of boba fett season two we would have heard about it by now i mean technically it's just you know mandalorian 2.5 so i imagine we'll get another you know book of boba fett yeah, or he might it, show up in Mando actually 3. season. 5. He might be. He actually could show up in Mando in Mandalorian season three. You never know. So. It's all on the table after Cad Bane. Like anybody could show okay. up anywhere for yeah. any reason. That's true. So, are you guys ready to get into the final segments of this podcast? 
Are you, are you ready to get off the fence on a few subjects? Oh, my Ooh. God. <laughs> yes. All right. So my first question, is Boba Fett a great value version of the Mandalorian? <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, I'll start with you. Oh, in a lot of ways, yes. Um, looping back to the beginning of our discussion, uh, because of how uh, the Mandalorian Din Djarin was written, um, I think was... They wanted to sneak Boba Fett in through the back door. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, it actually was a hit. And now we actually got to do Boba Fett. And, oh, he's all these things. Um, I, we had a great opportunity here to set Boba Fett apart and have him, you know, as this kind of Conan godfather uh, type <laughs> type head of this <laughs> family, um, this head of this crime organization, um, whatever. <clears throat> we could have had that. Yeah. Um, and I think that version would have differentiated him enough to not be a great value version of the Mandalorian, mm. but because we still don't have that clear, uh, showing of how he's a different character. I think we're kind of stuck with it. Right. Right. How about you, Doug? Yeah. After, uh, the conversations that we've had today, I would say, yes, he's unfortunately a great value version to Mandalorian because, you know, like we've said earlier, you know, man, when Mandalorian was created, we kind of almost got like the same, like vibe of, um, Boba Fett when we got, when we first saw him in, um, in the Empire Strikes Back, we got the same vibe for Mandalorian. You know, we got like a basically a Boba Fett 2.0, but better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when you have a moment to where you can bring this character back, you can, you know, put him into his own show, maybe prove that he's not the great value version of Mandalorian. <laughs> but then you but then you kind of almost make him a side character for his last three episodes in the show. Yeah. And you bring a Mandalorian and instantly the show, you know, or I mean, at least from my friends, everyone was like, Oh, this show's awesome. Now Mando's back. And I'm just like sitting there and I'm like, but this is not good for our boy Boba Fett, who is trying to get who I feel like is now trying to get out of Mandalorian shadow. You know, of being like, you know, a badass, you know, better than Mandalorian. So I, I feel like he's stuck underneath his shadow now and he's a, he is the great value version. He needs to crawl his way out of the <laughs> Mando to, pit. Exactly. <laughs> reach, reach out of those sands. <laughs> just climb up. But yes. yeah, I, I, as much as it pains me to say that, you know, I still think of Boba Fett being a, a great character, but. Yeah, it's just so ironic. Like you said, Aaron, we had this opportunity to set him apart from Mandalorian. Exactly. It was like truly the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, is Boba Fett Mm 2.0. Like it's everything with Boba Fett that you know him from the original trilogy, except with an actual story, not even just an actual story, a really good story, a very interesting story that draws you in, that flushes out the character makes him human and you root for the character. Like he's more than just an anti-hero. He is a hero. Mm -hmm. And I just love that so much. And then when we get Boba Fett, it's ironic because like we wouldn't have the Mandalorian without Boba Fett, Mm -hmm. without so much um, fanfare and like fanboyness. Like I'm, I'm responsible for that too. I love Boba Fett. He's my favorite character. But like after watching the Mandalorian season one and season two, it showed what Boba Fett could have been 
And now we have this even better character. And now once we get Boba Fett on the main stage, I don't care about him. And it's <laughs> he's written to be so boring. Like he was more like what interested me with Boba Fett in the Boba Fett show is the flashbacks of like mm-hmm. him with the Tuscans, even him as a kid on, on uh, Camino. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God. Like I'm more interested in knowing that story rather than who he is now, which is uh, a pseudo crime Lord mm-hmm. in charge of Moss Espa or the territory around Moss Espa. It's like, I don't care. Yeah. And it's boring. I, I have one last thing to add on okay. to the end after you're done, but, oh, okay. um, but <laughs> It's kind of walking back what I just said too. You know, at the end, episode episode seven, when he's finally can I can I talk about do the it, rancor do rancor part do where it, he do where it. literally he comes onto the screen and he's literally writing a freaking rancor. <laughs> I about freaking lost it, and I was like, this is the version of Boba Fett I want to see on screen yes. at all times. When he comes onto the screen, I want him to be commanding, just yes. like like. Just in that moment when he was on that rancor. Riding the rancor like a bantha. <laughs> yeah, like a bantha. Like a bantha. Like a bantha. It's a shame that he got partnered up with Fennec Shand. Not because there's anything wrong with Fennec Shand. She's awesome. Oh, yeah. But like all the cool dialogue went to her that yeah. Boba Fett should have been mm-hmm. saying. And all the right. worst dialogue. <laughs> right. There, there are parts re- where it sounded like Fennec Shand was reading a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> what's my line oh okay <laughs> more exposition please um but yeah like she was saying all the cool things that he should have been saying she yeah. was doing half the badass badass stuff that he should have been doing so at the point it's like what's left for boba fett nothing nothing he's just there he's just he's, he's a just prop. A, yeah he's yeah. a cardboard cutout like i totally like fennec shan and boba fett together it, it's a you know a parallel with his father with Mm-hmm. uh zam wessel is that her name mm-hmm. yeah like it's it's like oh poetry it rhymes yeah and i didn't it, even think of that but that's right on yeah like i absolutely love their dynamic but it's just not written well that's no. the problem that's it's it's like i don't care that he has like a partner it's just like write the characters well mm-hmm. and that's when you need another person writing these characters yeah Help. so my next question is did this series expand the universe of the mandalorian doug i'll start with you Absolutely, 100% it did, I think. I mean, just with episodes like 5, 6, and 7 alone, too. I mean, you have, although it all, like, although you have, like, the first, like, four episodes. I'm going to backtrack here real quick. I'm going to go to, I'm going to start in order here. All right. Um, You have episodes one through four. Like, obviously, you know, you dive more a little bit into Tatooine. But, like, Aaron said before, you dive more into the Tusken Raiders. And that part I enjoyed a lot was expanding the universe, expanding more knowledge into the Tusken Raiders. That did a, I thought that did a, they did a great job with that. And then with episodes five, six, and seven, with all these other characters coming in left and right, you got, you know, um, uh, Cad Bane, you've got, yeah, you, you got all the, the, the two huts, they got the Marshall coming in. You've got Ahsoka, you got Grogu, you got Luke, you just got like a- Amy Sidaris. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Kier- oh my god, I can never pronounce, pronounce his name, Kierce. Uh, Black Crescenton. Black Crescenton, yeah. I'm like, you have so many of these characters that are just pooling into this show. Yeah, it's expanding the, it definitely expands it. Right. How about you, Aaron? 
everything that he said <laughs> and more. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it episode six somehow managed to combine every single era of Star Wars ever into one. I know forty-five yes. minute episode. <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they did it. I was floored through that that whole entire episode. <laughs> yeah, um, there, there's just so many details that are that are sprinkled in, just with this effortless grace that the rest of the show desperately needed. Yeah. Um, the, of course, I uh, the BD unit is my favorite droid of all time, and uh, it's wonderful that they uh, that Fallen Order got a shout out there because yes. I don't think there's I don't think there's, there's any Star Wars game that has gotten like. Any kind of recognition outside of itself? I don't think there has been, to be um, honest. You're right. Yeah. So that's kind of the first instant instance of that. Pod racer. There you go. <laughs> well, that was that was after the film. Oh, okay. Um speaking of which, uh there, there's a there's an Easter egg that that I alone have discovered that I've not seen anybody else online point out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um when in chapter five, when Din and uh Pelimoto are building the hot rod and they work all through the night and it's the next morning. And the first shot of the next morning is it's sunrise on Mos Espa. And you have that dragon thing. That's like calling out like a rooster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, something in my brain activated when I saw that dragon, yes. and I was like, wait a minute. And then uh, it, it was from the briny depths of my memory <laughs> swam up a whale and I, I did some some research, some looking into things, and I was not disappointed because that is a thing from Super Star Wars yeah. for the SNES. Oh. When you're playing as Luke on Tatooine, there are these flying dragon things that attack you. And the manual identifies them as Minox, but that is inaccurate because both the sprites in the game and the dragon that we see on screen um have back legs they have claws on their wings uh and they have uh like an actual face like a jaw and a Mm -hmm. mouth and a nose which minox don't have those they also don't have back legs so i don't know what they're called i don't know what they are but i compared the sprite on screen to like a screen grab from the episode and god darn it they're the same thing (laughs) (laughs) so someone somewhere was like hey why don't we put this in from the super snes and Robert Re- Rodriguez was like, sure, do it. Why not? Yes. That's awesome. Anyway, right. this is the most obscure thing I've ever <laughs> I've ever seen in Star Wars, but it's there. Um, you know, playing that game as a kid, I couldn't beat one of the first. Like, you, you know, you, you fight, I guess, like a, the, the, the Sarlacc, the big, weird yeah. penis monster that comes out of the sand. <laughs> and then you go into the sand crawler. That's, yeah. where, that's where it gets hard for me. I couldn't oh, yeah. do it. It gave me a fucking nightmare. But yeah, I, rem- I remember those dragons. Yeah. And you have to like shoot up at them. Yeah, they like swoop down. Yeah. Oh my God. They sucked. <laughs> but they're there. And yes. it's just like, it's there if you recognize it. If you don't, no big deal. Yeah. And it's like that for, this show has, does have a lot of remember berries. Not going to lie. Oh, yeah. But most of them, most of them are kind of take it or leave it. Like if you don't recognize it as a reference, it's just, just going to be like, oh, whatever. Um, I do hope Wizard catches on though. It's such a cool <laughs> phrase. It Only truly is. Pedro, you need someone like Pedro Pascal to actually make that cool. Because, yes. like, <laughs> not so cool in The Phantom Menace. But when Pedro Pascal comes down in the N1 Starfighter, and Pelimoto's like, how is it? And he says, wizard. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, he's just cool in general. Yeah. So anything he says is like, oh, yeah. That's true. For me. Did that answer your question? I don't it, think it, it did. It, it did. Okay. It did. <laughs> I think the series did expand on the universe of the Mandalorian. This is what solidified the Mandalorian as a universe mm-hmm. of its own. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't expect the Mandalorian Din Djarin to come back. I didn't expect I, Amy Sedaris to come back. Like, all these Luke, mm-hmm. uh, Ahsoka. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, seeing all this, I was like, oh, they're, like, connecting all the shows together. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is amazing. And I absolutely love it. This is what you do with Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Can I tell you a story? What's up? Of Chapter 6. What's going on? So, I watched it in the morning with my roommate. Mm-hmm. And this is going somewhere, I promise you. Okay. Uh we're watching it and already like 20 minutes in, we're blown away. We've seen R2. We've seen Luke. We've seen Ahsoka. They shared the screen together. We saw Grogu. And we were like, after that, we were like, okay, that's it. That's the big surprise. That's a big uh, thing that, that Dave brought. We thought, okay, uncle Dave has come around. He's passing out candy to all of us here. You want some R2D2 rolls? <laughs> want some Ahsoka chews? <laughs> Want some Luke licorice? <laughs> some Grogu gummies? <laughs> and like good little kids were like, yeah. <laughs> Gobbled it all up. We ate it, ate so much of it, we got sick. Mm. We're sick to our stomach. We're just satiated. And we thought, that's all that Dave brought. And, you know, Dave's putting on his jacket. He's going out to his car. He turns around and he says, you kids been good? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Well, I think I have something in here. And he reaches into his jacket pocket and he pulls out Cad Bane. Oh, my uh, God. Yes. And, you know, Din visits Cobb. Uh, we, we thought he was the stranger in the desert that the title referred to. Yes. And he's talking to him and it's like, oh, cool. We see like the, the crate dragon bones in the, in the cantina where they were at. Um, we see that, by the way, just that moment with the crate dragon skull and the sand crawler is like... <laughs> Coolest thing that that, that was so totally cool. didn't need to be there, but the fact that it was it is builds like the worlds. There's continuity between shows. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, anyway, we saw that, and Din takes off, and then the wind picks up, and the wind chimes blow, and it's like, oh, I know what that means when I'm watching a western. Something bad's rolling into town. <laughs> yep. Cobb Van takes a look, and there's that silhouette in the shimmery horizon. Yes. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh my god! And my, my roommate, like, it took a second, but then he's like. No. Then it, then it came back and we saw that silhouette with the with the hat. And we both nutted at the same time. <laughs> we were like, there's no way. There's no way that Dave would do this on top of everything else that we got. And yet he did. And that is just peak Star Wars to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was amazing Star Wars. To, to, whatever whatever you have to say about the show, regardless, um, I love the fact that stuff like that can happen and can actually affect me emotionally and make me feel like a human being mm-hmm. um that is that is peak star wars peak storytelling and just weaving a fabric of this one unified world of all these dis- disparate uh pieces coming together at star wars yeah like you can like i said before you could tell that they have a true love with this series because like they don't approach these subjects with like fanfare or like fanboyness fan fiction mm-hmm. it's like it it's appropriate and they know how to handle it mm-hmm. and it's embedded within the actual canon in such a beautiful way they did mm-hmm. a great job like you said it was all the star wars eras in one episode and oh my god it was masterfully executed mm-hmm. 
Um, so my next question, I think we all agree. Maybe. Was the series rushed? Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm, I almost, I almost brought this up earlier, um, cause I might jinx myself by doing it, but I'm, I'm working on a, a Boba Fett fan edit of the <gasps> show. Oh, really? And, yes. Okay. And what I'm doing, what I plan to do at least, it may, may not work out is splitting up the show where it's just the Tuscan arc. That's kind of, uh, part mm-hmm. one of the book of Boba Fett. It's like the return of Boba Fett. And you have part two, which is the Pike Syndicate War. Mm-hmm. And I think it will, I think it will help smooth out a lot of the kind of inconsistencies here. Cause one of the first problems, one of the first major structural problems that I noticed with the show was Boba Fett didn't really have a motivation for doing anything right. until chapter four when yep. he's talking with, uh, Fennec Shand at the campfire and she's like, why are you, why are you doing all this? And, he says, you know, uh, I'm tired of working for idiots who are going to get me killed. And um, there's, only so, there's only so far you can go without a tribe. Something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, there's our motivation. Mm-hmm. And it works as a kind of capstone to his, his return arc. His prior experience. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it sets up the motivation for the other half. So I'm working on that. Um, and... Like one of you mentioned earlier, um, I think it's indicative of you basically have two seasons in this show. Uh, one is where Boba Fett actually returns, and the other is now he's going to make something new, being mm-hmm. the daimyo. Exactly. I, I would like to see that version because I honestly I think that's the version that we should have seen. You know, because mm-hmm. as a structure, it makes more sense because you know the TV show each episode you're supposed to you know. You're supposed to be Build. building up that ramp. And yeah. it feels like with those first four episodes that the, those, those ramps that the, there, there was no ramp being built those first four episodes. It felt like, yeah. And I feel like if you do it the way that you're doing it, the way that how you said that you're, you're going to edit, I feel like that you're going to get that ramp feeling. I, I hope so. You can have the kind of show where you just have a character kind of stumbling around and just, they meet weird characters and weird things happen. And but that's not a Boba Fett show, yeah. Right? You and to be granted, that's that's not most shows. You need people with motivation for doing what they're doing, and you yeah. need that early on, so you know what the hell's yeah. going on. Why do I care about the character on screen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why am I investing my time into this person's life mm-hmm. if they're not doing anything? Right, and mm-hmm. I don't care what they're doing. Um, yeah, it was totally rushed. Like, yep. I mean, like you, like, like you said, like it, two seasons. One where it sets up who he, the return of Boba Fett and how mm-hmm. he grown as a character. And then the other season is him establishing control of Tatooine. Yes. Imagine if Game of Thrones did the War of the Five Kings, which it was three and a half seasons long mm-hmm. in seven episodes. Ugh. It yeah. wouldn't work. Disney, you got to slow down. <laughs> Take your time. Take your time. We'll watch. We're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. I watch. You've already, we're hooked. We're already in. I'll watch good Star Wars content. It's okay. Not yeah. like that this isn't good, but you know, it can be a little better. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which leads into my next question. Did John Favreau bite off more than he can chew with Book of Boba Fett? It's possible, but he and Filoni have so much experience together um, with this show and Filoni in particular with everything that he went through with the Clone Wars, that it's certainly a story that they can tell. Um, just the way that they went about it made that task pretty much impossible. Um, whether it's the 
whether it's the showrunner and the creative team behind the show itself, or just trying to do too much with too little and too short a time frame. Yeah. Kind of they're shooting themselves in the foot. Right. It felt like a perfect I, storm of it ended up being bad. Yeah. I have to agree with you. Yeah. Exactly what you just said. I mean, it, it pains me to kind of say it too, but it's like, it's like, just don't, don't you don't need to rush it. Just take your time with it, man. I, I still liked it. I it, still, I, I still enjoyed it for what it was. I, I mean, it was it still was seven hours. It was good. still seven episodes of Star Wars that I watched and I absolutely, yes, fanboyed over <laughs> mm-hmm. because there were some moments, you know, that where I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't believe what I'm watching. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, <laughs> could have been better. It could have been better. Yeah. Yeah. I think he bit off more than he could chew. Yeah. Like, like I said earlier, if you need help, just ask for it. Yeah. People, people will love to work on a Star Wars show. Just oh, ask. Yeah. And there, I'm sure there's a lot of talented people that'll be like, okay. I'm no sure if problem. they want, mm-hmm. I'm sure if they went up to somebody who did Westerns and be like, Hey, would you want to be a co, co showrunner for this and maybe look at this and see what you think? They'd be like, yeah. Uh, we definitely need some areas of improvement, but yeah, we got gold here. Cause I mean, there is gold there. Like, like you said before, it felt like a first draft at times. Mm-hmm. It felt like a first draft. Could have been in the oven a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, I, I want to be careful about saying like, did Favreau bite off more than he can chew? I, I just wonder if he was given impossible conditions, like, probably. Um, yeah. Like this is the story that we want to tell with book of Boba Fett. Um, we have this budget. You have seven episodes. No more. Uh, give us what you got. And Favreau may have just been like, yeah. Who, who knows? He may have pitched, hell yeah, I want to do a uh, Boba Fett show, but it's not going to be really, you know, doing anything with Mando. No, you can't do that. You must, in- you must include Mando. Oh. That could be another, I mean, that could be another. We don't been. know. Could have been. That, that could be another thing of, because I mean, they, they need existing IP. Mm-hmm. They're probably like, we need to, uh, we need to uh, connect this to something current day for us to actually give a reason for us to bring Boba Fett back. So instead of like, oh, having like a, a seven episode arc of Boba Fett, it was like, okay, well, sounds like I need to sprinkle in what I wrote for season three and just put it in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. So it's like expedite Boba Fett's story and have some Mandalorian episode one or episode two season three in the book of Boba Fett. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Hard to say. Cause we're peering into a black box yeah, speculating, but give us answers. We want to know. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> exactly. So did book of Boba Fett live up to the hype? It has so much hype with those. I mean, th- there's a, there's enough content in there for so much hype. If, if Boba Fett on a Rancor does not give you like, you know, so much hype, then, you know, are you really a fan of Star Wars? Exactly. Like a bantha. Like mm. a bantha. Hype is dangerous because it can, it can lead you to expect unreasonable things. Yeah, that's and true. And I, I, I try to set it aside and just accept, uh, accept the show for what it is or whatever it is, uh, for what it is. Um, and if you do that with the show, it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. 
Uh, and there, there's even some some twists, some surprises oh, yeah. uh, along the way. And I think you'll be happier for it if you go into it with that. Um, it, but in other ways, it's almost impossible to ignore 40 years of hype for this character that people love. Um, and to be kind of disappointed when the show for him uh, turns out this way. Yeah. Well, I think it was dead on arrival. Mm. Like no matter what, even if it was amazing, like it fully set out what we wanted it to be, people would still be disappointed in some degree. Oh yeah. There's no pleasing Star Wars fans. Yeah. <laughs> Which sucks. I Speaking mean, of that. I was going to say, I mean, I could shit on Star Wars as much as I possibly can, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to love it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I enjoyed it, but like, did it live up to my personal hype of loving this character so much? Like, oh my God, there's oh, yeah. finally a Boba Fett show. And I watch it, I'm like, it's oh, a little boring, a little disjointed. <laughs> it could have been better. Yeah. Oh, oh, Mandalorian's here. I like him better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say no from me. So would you recommend Book of Boba Fett to a friend? Yes, asterisk. <laughs> um, What's the disclaimer? I don't even know what it would be because as soon as you asked that question, I just thought of all my, all my normie friends uh, who aren't star Wars fans who love the show. Anyway, um, I'm thinking of one in particular who said, you know, she could tell that this show was just full of love and life and had so much uh, care and craftsmanship put into it. And mm, which is true. Yeah. Um, and another friend who is kind of, kind of a mild star Wars fan, um, and he, he was just, a, he could recognize all the problems, um, from like a movie making standpoint, but he just was along for the ride and loved it and had a lot of fun watching it. Um, I think the people who are most going to be disappointed by it are star Wars fans, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I don't know if I can put a fine point to diagnose why, but, um, yes, I would recommend it. Um, especially because there's just not much going on for good TV these days. Mm. Um, but you might need to do your homework. You might need to go watch Mando season one and two. Um, and I would just encourage you to just kind of take the show for what it is. There's going to be parts that you love. There's going to be parts that you just baffle you. Um, but take it for what it is. See it as a, as a part of a whole. And I think that will smooth over a lot. I'm going to get into that after Doug. I'm I'm with you. Yes. With an asterisk. Like one of my first questions, if someone asked me, should I watch your show would be, have you seen Mandalorian season one or two? If not, you have to watch that first before you see Buck of Boba Fett. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one of my asterisks. And at the same time, you know, I know as much as I can, like as much as I can hype up TV shows and stuff like that, that to my friends, I always remind them, Remember, that's just me. For you, (laughs) (laughs) you might like it, you might not. Depends on how I usually gauge with people, like, how much of a Star Wars fan are you? Like, I Mm. ask, like, one of my first way to gauge people is, like, okay, what's your opinion on the new trilogy? Mm -hmm. And they go, I love it, but it has its issues. And I go, okay, then, you know, take the same cautionary tale with Book of Boba Fett. But, you know, it, dep- it, it just, it, I say it depends on how much you love Star Wars or not, to right. be honest. And 
um, as a show by itself, it's it's not a show that stands by itself. So you got to kind of really recommend Mandalorian season one or two with it yeah. as required viewing. Otherwise, they're just going to watch it and they're going to be like, okay, who's Grogu? Exactly. Who, who's this Mandalorian figure? Mm. So Exactly. So what you're both saying is to whoever, temper your expectations. Yes. yes. Go into it with an open mind. Yeah. You know what's weird about Star Wars these days? What's up? You can't just get into Star Wars. You need like a tour yeah. guide. Yeah. Watch these things in this order. You can skip these, but don't skip that. And, you know, ignore that. Uh, no, actually, that's really important. It's it's a minefield. I'm so sorry for anyone who's trying to, like, get caught up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I know. Like, you got, like, you got the animated series, too. Yeah. You got the Clone Wars. You got the Bad Batch. Which like, I did watch. I, I've I'm seen, like, nah, it's too <laughs> much. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of Clone Wars. I'm still manage my, managing my way through it before I get to bit Bad Batch. So What's wild about the Clone Wars is that they were written like movies, but then diced up, like, 22-minute TV shows. Yeah, sometimes they're weird. <laughs> if you... there, There's uh, there's an edit of the series out there that I really enjoy and recommend um, that pieces together all those episodes into like one into like complete arcs so you don't just like watch a few episodes of a show randomly you sit down for like a feature length maybe i need arc. to do that it, it it works i can i can hook you up later yes you hook should me up. up yeah but in the discord server <laughs> i will <laughs> okay so i guess the real question is like who's the intended target audience for this and i feel like it's for new people but the problem is you need to watch Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. you can't just watch Book of Boba Fett. Like it ties into Mandalorian so heavily. Like not like, oh, like little nods here and there. Like, oh, that sets up this. Oh, that's a reference to this. It's like it continued the story of Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't care about the audience if they didn't see Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. It does not explain anything. It expects you to know these characters and to know the journey that they're on. And it's like, I know you're like, it's clearly, it's clearly obvious that Lucasfilm is trying to target more people into this universe and like, okay, you don't know Star Wars. Would you like to know more? Mm-hmm. Would you like to come into it? Be a fan of this show? And it's like, Asterix, you need to watch these other things. Asterix, it's not what you're probably going to expect as a Star Wars fan, if you're a Star Wars fan. So it's like, would I recommend it? To the seasoned veteran, yes, with an asterisk, like mm-hmm. you said. To those that are unfamiliar with it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But if you've seen Mandalorian, mm-hmm. watch five, six, seven. You can almost skip one through four, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and to those that don't know, it's like you have to watch Mandalorian, like you said, Doug. It's like yeah. you need, this is required reading before you even get to the, the, the show. It's like, Oh yeah. my God. Um, but for me uh, overall, you know, I'm just going to give an anecdote of like my watching experience with like shows in the ether. Like I was watching book of Boba Fett and I was like slogging through episode one through four. And I was like, people think this is good. Like, Oh my God. Like this is not good. It's like, it's not horrible but it's not excellent it's just mediocre mm-hmm. and it sucks because it's like it's boba fett it's star wars it should not be mediocre you should mm-hmm. like truly put all that you got into this tv show and then at the same time around the same time euphoria season two came out mm-hmm. and like it's a completely different show than book of boba fett but like from like a craftsman standpoint the cinematography is like the best i've seen like beating out most movies I've seen, the acting is incredible. The storytelling is like finely crafted, and even the actors are giving it their all. And it's like, oh my god, the stark contrast of like people, like the right people at the right time making a product, and then Disney slash Lucasfilm saying like, okay, this these are your parameters. These are the people that we hired. Good luck. And it's like you know mm-hmm. the product is going to mm-hmm. suffer. Would I recommend Boba Fett if you really love Star Wars? Absolutely. If you're on the fence, you could skip it and watch something else. Like, oh my God. Like the movies. How dare you say someone to skip Star Wars? I'm just teasing. <laughs> That's just my opinion. <laughs> okay. There's I, something I've been wanting to say this entire podcast. Do it. But it never came oh, up that I can okay, loop do it. it in. Ooh, do it. Do it. Um, I, I had to wonder how, how long do you think it took, uh, for the stink of the Sarlacc guts to come out of Boba Fett's clothes? Oh my God. And his skin. Like, is that, is that why the Tuscans had him tied up like outside the camp? They couldn't stand how much he fucking reeked. <laughs> is that why nobody wants to, anything to do with Boba Fett this whole show? <laughs> like he still stinks. Walking around Mos Espa, just <laughs> like like uh, like pig pen. It's like that thing in Anchorman where they put on uh, Paul Rudd's cologne. It's like you smell like Bigfoot's dick wrapped in shit, yeah. burnt hair. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's in the back to tank just to leech all that stink out of him. Yeah, it's actually OxyClean. <laughs> yeah, it's bathing in bleach. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what? That is canon to me. <laughs> Everyone was like, fuck this guy. He smells terrible. Where were you? I was in a Sarlacc pit. My God. <laughs> you smell like it. I love it. Oh, my God. Are you ready to close this out? Let's do it. All right. But that's it for the Simon Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Book of Boba Fett. Please check it out where it is available. And before we go, thank you, Aaron, Doug, for coming on to the show. It was fun. Thank Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. It's always great to have you guys on. And if you want to hear more of Aaron, please check him out on his podcast, WSDR Galactic Public Access, wherever you find your podcasts. And if you want to see more of Doug, please check him out on his Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash wow underscore it's a pop tart. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Have Discord? Feel free to join our growing film community there at syndicate.com forward slash Discord, where you can catch myself, along with other podcasters and listeners, talking about this series and others. But if we miss anything during this conversation, please send us a message at info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.